You know, in our world, the word friend just doesn't mean what it used to mean, does it? The word friend just doesn't mean what it used to mean. It used to be that for you and me to be friends, we had to go through some stuff together. I mean, we had to go through it together if you and I were going to call one another friends. We had to live together. We had to grow up together. We went through struggles together. We went through joys together. We went through the ups and downs of life, and we did it together. You knew all the mess that was in my life, and I knew all the mess that was in your life, and we stuck together through it all. That's used to be what it meant to call someone friend. And today, we can just be friends at the click of a button. And the word friend, it just doesn't mean what it used to. Our networks and our connections are growing wider and wider, and our arms are reaching further and further. And and as our networks grow and we know more people and we call more people friend, there is something that's happening in our culture, and you know it's happening. I'm not going to tell you something new this morning, right? I'm not going to tell you something that you uh, are unaware of. I'm just going to remind us of something that's happening in the world around us. You see it happening. I see it happening. And that is, as our networks grow, bigger and we call more people friend and our arms reach wider and we know more and more people there's this huge deficit that's left behind of real true friendship in fact, a couple years ago, uh, USA Today released a study in which they talked to thousands of people across the country and they determined that people today have a third fewer friends. Americans today, no, not a third fewer, two-thirds fewer, a third of the amount of close friends that they had just 20 years ago. And Americans today have a third of the close friends that they used to 20 years ago. Even though the connections are bigger and the networks are wider and our arms reach further and we know more people, we're left with a third of the true friends that we had just 20 years ago. And the study said that 25% of people living in this culture say they have no true friends at all. That even though they could go on their computer and they could post something that hundreds of people would see instantly, they would say that they have no real friends. And there's this reality that's happening in our culture in which even though our networks are getting bigger, there's this deficit that's been left behind, that's been left behind where people feel empty and people feel lonely and people feel depressed. And even though we know more people and are connected with more people than ever before, you see it and I see it. People are more lonely and depressed than they've ever been in our culture. We don't need a bunch of statistics to prove that. We know it's true. We see it. We experience it. And when I think about what it means to be a a true friend and what, what true friendship looks like and what I would want in a true friend, one of the things, there's a movie scene that comes to mind. And there's a movie that's out there, uh, and, and I'm, I'm not going to tell you to go see it. I'm just going to tell you that it's out there. And the movie is called Tombstone. It's one of my favorite movies. And there's a scene in Tombstone, right? It's movies about Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, and it's loosely based off reality. But there's this scene where Wyatt Earp is out for revenge and vengeance against the gang of people who killed his brother and, and, and wounded his other brother. And so he's out and he's attacking them and he's going after them. And his friend Doc Holliday is with him every step of the way. 
And his friend Doc is near death. He can barely walk. He was an alcoholic in real life. That's true, part of the story. That's, that's true to, to history. And his liver is failing, yet he's out there. And at one point when they're out and they're, and they're relaxing, uh, one of them looks at Doc and he says, Doc, what are you doing out here anyway? Why are you even here? You should be in the hospital. And Doc says, Wyatt Earp is my friend. He said, I have lots of friends. And Doc Holliday looked at him and said, I don't. And when I think about what it means to have a true friend and what it means to be in relationship with somebody in true friendship, I think about that. Here this guy is on his deathbed. He shouldn't be out there, but yet his friend is trying to avenge his family's death and trying to get things taken care of. And so no matter what it takes and no matter what it costs him, he's there by his side helping him out. And even though we have all these connections in this giant network, I mean, we have lost something in our world today where those kind of relationships are fewer and fewer between. We even see it in the Bible. Remember King David? Perhaps you know King David, uh, David of David and Goliath. David had both. David needed both, a large network of people he called friends, and he needed someone that was so close to him, that was the person that shared everything with him, the person that held him up, and the person that he was in real relationship with. In fact, David, uh, there's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 30 where David is off in battle with his men, and and his uh, back in the camp are the wives and the children of the men who are fighting. And while David and his men are out and they're fighting their enemies named the Amalekites, they come into the camp and they take captive their, their wives and their children. And they take their wives and their children and they, and they take them hostage. And David and his men return to camp to find everything plundered and their wives and their children missing. And so the Bible says that David got his men together and they went off and they found the Amalekites and they won a great victory over the Amalekites and they took everything the Amalekites had and they brought it back. And then David, once he was in camp, he divided it up. And the Bible says he divided it among his network of friends, people that he would call friend, people he had a connection with, people his arms reached out to. In fact, even people that weren't there. So when David came back to Ziklag, he sent part of the spoil from the battle to his friends, the elders of Judah, people that he just knew. They weren't there. They were in another country. They were in another place saying, here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. But even though David had that network of friends, he had one friend in his life who was very different. If you know the story of David, you know that he was anointed king before the current king was dead. And so David had to wait out the current king's reign, King Saul. So there is this awkward situation where Saul is still king, but both Saul and David know he's been anointed king and he's coming. And David is gaining influence and da- David is gaining power, but Saul is still king. And while, while David is around the court and he's around Saul's kingdom, this thing happens where David and Saul's son, Jonathan, begin to form a friendship. And the friendship becomes so strong that even when Saul tries to kill David because he's worried of his influence and worried of the power that he's gaining, even when Saul tries to kill David, Jonathan loves David enough 
to protect him. You can see here what the Bible says about David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18.1. It said that Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his very own soul. And when we think about friendship, isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we really desire? There is something inside of us that knows that we were made and we were built and we were formed for real relationship with God and with others. Not just, not just uh, friendship where we see each other's vacation photos on a computer, but real intimate relationships with God and with others. And the reason we know it is because when we're missing it, we become desperate to find it. When we're missing it, we feel empty and we feel lost and we feel lonely and we feel depressed. And we live in this world, we live in this world in which even though we have these networks that are growing wider and wider and our arms reach further and further and we know more people than we ever have before, more and more of us are left with this huge deficit where we don't feel like we have anyone we can count on. We don't feel like we have true friends. And this morning we're going to talk about what it looks like and what Scripture says, what Paul would say to us about what it would take for us to go out and find those relationships. What the Bible talks about when it talks about the people that we are supposed to be when it comes to our closest relationships. And before we get there, I want us to take a step back and talk about where we are in this series and what we're doing over these few weeks that we're talking about this idea or this subject of linked. Lewis read the first couple of verses of Romans chapter 12 uh, there for us. And those verses really are providing the foundation of everything that we're talking about over these few weeks. Because when we begin to follow Jesus Christ and we put our trust in him, we expect that a few things are going to happen. We expect that we're going to feel differently. We expect that we're going to uh, feel differently. We expect, you know, where we were sad before, we'll be happy. We expect where we were depressed before, we'll be joyful. We expect that where we felt lost before, we'll feel like we have a purpose. We expect uh, that when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that when that happens, that in that moment, that we're going to start to feel differently. And we also expect when we begin to follow Jesus Christ, that we're probably going to start to act differently. And we want our feelings and our actions to change when we begin to follow Jesus. But what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 is before any of that other stuff changes, there's something deeper inside of us that needs to be renewed, deeper inside of us that needs to be transformed, deeper inside of us that needs to change. Next year, uh, Google is releasing their newest product. And you've probably seen it, Google Glass. And that's the co-founder, Sergey Brin of Google. He's doing all right for himself. Uh, but Sergey was, uh, he gave a TED talk this year at the TED conference. And as he was talking, he had Google Glass on. And he said, this is the mission. This is the goal of Google Glass. He said, our goal is to fundamentally change 
the way our world perceives and takes in information. The way we see this world, the way we interact with this world, the way we think about this world, our goal is to change all of that. And so Google, who's already revolutionized the search engine and already revolutionized email and online advertising and document sharing and all sorts of stuff, is now attempting to revolutionize the way we perceive the very world around us. He said, right now, if we want information or we want to learn about this world, you have to look down like this at your phone. You have to look like this at a tablet or you look at a computer screen. He said, we want to create a world where you're looking at the world around you and all the while in the corner of your eye, able to perceive and take in and capture information. We want to change the way that everyone perceives the world. Paul says there at the beginning of Romans chapter 12, he says, he doesn't say that when, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. If you don't want to be like, like you were before, if you want things to really change, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your feelings. Doesn't say that. He doesn't say, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your actions. He doesn't say that. He says, if you want your life to be different and you want God to come in and do a work in your life and to change everything, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Of your mind. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because I can convince myself to feel a certain way for a while. And I can conjure up the energy to act a certain way for a while. But if there's going to be lasting change in my life, the very way I perceive the world, the very way I think about the world, the very way I take in information and understand things needs to be revolutionized by the work of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And once I see things differently and I think about things differently and I take in information differently, there is lasting change in my life. And so we're talking about this over this month in terms of our relationships. And last week, if you weren't here last week, you should go online and listen to the Pastor Rick's message on marriage. And he said, the way that we, we normally look at marriage and we come into those relationships is that we're in that relationship in order to make ourselves happy. He said, we have happiness as our scoreboard in our marriages. But when our minds are renewed by Christ, when things change and we begin to look at things differently and God does his work inside of us, we go into those relationships and the scoreboard is no longer our happiness. The scoreboard is now how much can I honor the other person? And so the question is this morning, what is it that needs to change in our minds, in the way that we think, and the way that we perceive things when it comes to friendship and those relationships. Paul, in this chapter, in Romans chapter 12, he doesn't just tell everyone uh, to have their minds renewed and not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but he goes on later in the chapter, and in your Bible it might be marked out as the true marks of a Christian or the behavior of a true Christian, but he has this entire section where he says, once your mind is renewed, this is what you'll look like. 
This is what your life will look like once your mind is renewed. And in a couple of verses, verses 15 and 16 that we're going to read in a minute, he gets to this place where he mentions some things that when I read them and when we read them, we would say to Paul, Paul, yes, those are the things that I'm looking for in a friend. When you talk about filling this void of, of, of missing these deep personal relationships in our lives, true friendships, true companionships, true, brother, true brotherhood and sisterhood, when we talk about mentioning that we read these verses and we say to ourselves paul man those are the things i'm looking for those are the things that i can't find in this world around me paul if i could find that person i would be friends with them in a second and i want to be friends with them but paul i can't find these kinds of people but it's the person i'm trying to find and this is what paul says in verses 15 and 16 he says if your mind has been renewed by christ this is what you'll do You'll rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You'll live in harmony with one another, and do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. And we hear those verses and we say, yeah, that's, that's exactly the kind of person I'm looking for. Because all of us want someone who rejoices when we rejoice and who weeps when we weep. All of us want someone like that in our lives. We want someone near us and close to us who will be joyful when we are joyful and who will weep with us when we weep. That's what we long for. It's built into us. All of us that have been around a young child know that when that young child accomplishes something for the first time or does something new for the very first time, that they want to run and they want to show the people that they love. They want those people who are with them to rejoice because they're joyful and we know that when we're around them that if they're sorrowful, they're going to make sure that we are sorrowful with them because it's built into us that we want people to be joyful when we are joyful and weep when we weep. When the settlers came to America and they had this challenge ahead of them of communicating with the Native American tribes, they began to work and they began to try to translate uh, the languages. And what they found was in all the tribes that they encountered, there was no word that they could translate friend. There was no word among the tribes in the different language groups and the different people that they could find a, a one-to-one translation for the word friend. And in fact, it's recorded that the only thing they could come up with, what they could come up with, they, they tried to take what, what the Native American tribes were saying about the people they were closest to and translate it into English. Rather than translating the word friend, they had to translate it into a phrase. And the phrase is one who carries my sorrows on his back. That's who we're looking for. One who carries my sorrows on his back. That's the kind of friend we long for. That's the kind of person that we want to see, is someone who will rejoice when we rejoice and who will weep with we weep when we weep. But that's not the only thing that Paul talks about. 
Paul talks about the fact that we want someone who, rejoice with those, who rejoices with us, when we rejoice and weeps with us, when we weep. But he also says we want someone who's willing to associate with the lowly. And you know how I know that we are longing for someone who is willing to associate with the lowly? You know, I know we just wish that the people who we perceive as in front of us would just turn around and would, and would befriend us and love us is because what is the greatest compliment that we give to famous people when we meet them? When you know somebody that has met someone who's famous and they come back and they want to describe to you what that person is like. The thing that they will say to us when they want to describe this person as, as great and, and, and as, a, as a great person and they had a great time with them, they'll come back and they'll say, you wouldn't believe it. Even though they're so rich and even though they're so famous, they are just like us. He was such a normal person. It was like I was just talking to anybody. And, and even though he's so famous, and, even though, and if they do the opposite, we say, oh, they're so stuck up. They're so full of themselves. They're so, uh, who wants to, who cares? They think they're, so, uh, they're the greatest person ever, and who cares about them? But if they're the opposite, we're blown away by that, that they would be just like us. Because we want people who we perceive as ahead of us to turn around and befriend us. Pastor Rick and I, uh, a few years ago, some of you may know Dick Amahandro. He used to, came to this church for a long time, and he's since moved to Florida. Uh, he, him and his wife, Anne, have moved to Florida. But a couple years ago, uh, Dick Amahandro had a business in downtown Boston. And he said to Pastor Rick and, and myself, he said, I want you guys to come down to the city for breakfast, and I want you to meet with a friend of mine who happens to be in town from the Philippines. And he's an Assemblies of God pastor, which our church is as well. And he's headed towards general council in Indiana, which is the big gathering once every other year of Assembly of God churches across the United States. And Pastor Rick was headed there the next week. And, and so we said, all right, we'll come in. We'll have breakfast with this, this pastor from, from the Philippines. And so uh, we got down to the city of Boston and Dick was showing us around his office and we're just about to leave. And Dick says, listen, I'm sorry, uh, that I, but I can't make breakfast this morning. Um, I'm just not able to do it. So he said, I told Pastor Sober Pena uh, to meet you in the lobby of his hotel and you guys just go to breakfast. I just wanted the three of you to talk anyway. So we said, all right, we'll go meet David. So we went to the lobby of his hotel. We met David. We walked over to this place for breakfast and we're sitting there eating breakfast and just talking church talk and, and everything. And, and, and we said to David, he said, we said, uh, you know, well, how big is, is, is the church that you're pastoring right now? And he, and he said to us, well, about 35,000 people. It was 35,000 people. And we're like, and, and how long are you in the States for? He's like, well, a little, I'm, I'm traveling around, I'm training. He's like, I just spent last week with my good friend Rick Warren out in California, and he had me teaching at his church at Saddleback, and, and then now I'm here to meet with Dick on some financial issues, and then I'm going to speak at General Council. I'm going to be a part of General Council down in Indianapolis. And both Rick and I looked at each other, and we looked at him, and, and we thought, I don't think you're supposed to be having breakfast with us. <laughs> There's got to be, there's got to be someone more important that you should be having breakfast with. But there's something, I mean, 
you know, we're, we're pastor nerds. So for us, that's like exciting, right? This guy is teaching with Rick Warren. He's like, he, he's uh, 35,000 people at his church. I mean, for us, that's, that's big. It's like sitting with, maybe with the CEO of a company or, or whatever it is that, that you do. I mean, that was, that was, uh, you know, a big deal for us. And the fact that he would come and he would sit and he would talk with us and share, you know, share stories and just have a great time. That was a big, because we long for someone who we perceive as above us to turn around and befriend us. And so we say, Paul, yeah, that's what I want. Rejoice, rejoice, weep, weep, uh, you know, associate with the lowly. And then Paul says, and don't be wise in your own sight. And we're saying, Paul, that's what I want. I want someone who's not a know-it-all. I would love to find someone who's not a know-it-all. I would love to find someone who just, when I have problems and I have struggles, I would love to find somebody who would just come alongside of me and not always have the answer and not always have the advice and not always point out when I'm wrong. God, I'd love to find somebody like that. Or Paul, I'd love to find someone like that. And we have Paul lists these things and the, the empathy and, and, the humility and everything that Paul talks about. And we say, Paul, here's the challenge. I would love to find that person, but I can't find that person around me. And so I'm left just building a bigger network and longing for true relationship. And I think Paul would look at us and say, listen, if you've had your mind renewed by Christ, And your mind has been transformed by him. Stop just running around looking for that person and go and be that person. Stop just wishing that that person would walk into our lives and go and be that person for somebody else. Because the deficit that we experience in our lives at some points where we feel like we could just use true friendship, there are millions of people around us in this world that experience the exact same thing every single day. And I think Paul would say, listen, if your mind is already new by Christ, this is who you should be. Go and be it for somebody else. And the truth is, these three things are so hard for us to do. We... Uh, don't weep with those who weep, and we don't rejoice with those who rejoice. In fact, deep down inside, there's this piece of us that rejoices when people weep and weeps when people rejoice. When you go to your class reunion, the last thing you want to find out is that everyone else has been unbelievably successful because there's this piece of us that wants to go to the class reunion and wants a certain segment of the class to have done worse than we have. And we want to go and listen to their story, and, and, and it's deep down inside, but we want to listen to, we'll listen to their story, and we'll say, oh, it's too bad the job didn't work out. But deep down inside, we're like, ah, they thought they were better than me in high school. And we hear about someone getting a promotion or, and we think to ourselves, you know, who are these, who are these people to, to, to make more money than me? And who are these people to have a better house than me? And, and who are these people to have a, a family that looks more put together than mine? And we find ourselves weeping when other people rejoice and we find ourselves rejoicing when other people weep. It's hard to be the person that gives true empathy. Maybe you know the story of Job in the Old Testament. Job was the wisest, the richest man in all of the, the known world, the Bible says. He was the greatest man among the peoples of the East. And 
long story short, Job, in a short amount of time, loses everything that he had. His entire family, all his wealth, all his possessions. In fact, he's reduced, the Bible says, to sitting on a pile of ashes in tears because he's so broken over everything that's happened to him. And after Job is sitting on this pile of ashes, three of his friends come walking up. And when they see their friend Job, they're so overcome with grief and emotion that they tear their clothes and the Bible says they go and they sit on that pile of ashes and they weep with Job for seven days, a week, doing nothing but feeling the sorrow of their friends. And if you know the story of Job, You know that after that week, they start to open their mouths and give advice, and the whole thing goes bad. It goes so bad that God has to come in and break it up. Because that's what we want, and that's what we need, is people who will see us in our sorrow and come and weep with us. We're called to be those kinds of people. We serve a God... We serve a God who associates with the lowly. All throughout the Old Testament, God associates himself with those who are downtrodden. God associates with those who are in bad situations. God says, I'm the comforter of the oppressed. I'm the father to the fatherless. I am the protector of the widow. Everyone uh, who, who needs is in a lowly situation. I am their God. And when Jesus comes in the New Testament, he says that he is not here for the well. He's here for the sick. He's here for the poor. He's here for those who are in need. And so Paul in this passage, after he says that we're to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice, takes for granted that we would be the kind of people who would turn around and associate with the lowly. We spend so much time looking up, wishing someone would turn around and befriend us, all the while ignoring that there's someone right behind us who's waiting for us to turn around and befriend them. Paul says, if your mind is renewed by the Spirit, be the kind of person who weeps with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Be the kind of person who's willing to turn around and befriend the lowly. And finally, he says this. He says, never be wise in your own sight. And that one is so hard for us because we love to be wise in our own sight. We love to be right. We love to point out when others are wrong. We love it when we have the information and others don't. And there's this guilty little pleasure inside of us when we know more than the other people that we're around. But if we're to be the kind of people that Paul calls us to, if we're really to be able to go out and be in relationship with others, he says, never be wise in your own sight. A few years ago, an author by the name of A.J. Jacobs read the entire encyclopedia and wrote a book about it. It's a humorous book that, that he wrote about. It's pretty funny. But he's not the first person to read the entire encyclopedia. You have to go all the way back to 1797 when a man by the name of Fath Ali He was the Shah of Persia, read the entire encyclopedia cover to cover. You have to be something like the Shah of Persia to have the free time to be able to read the entire encyclopedia. But after he read the entire encyclopedia, Faf got in there and he changed his official title. He changed his title so that when people met him, they could no longer call him Fath Ali, and they could no longer just call him Fath Ali, Shah of Persia. They had to, every time, address him as Fath Ali, Shah of Persia, 
most formidable lord and master of the Encyclopedia Britannica. I mean, is that the guy? You're never going to text that guy, right? And it'd be like, Tushfath Ali, Shah of Persia. Most, no one wants to be friends with that guy. Why would you want to be friends with him? And Paul says, if your mind is renewed by the power of the Spirit, empathize with people, befriend the lowly, and don't be wise in your own sight. Be humble. But here's the challenge that we face. And here's why it's not happening in our world around us. In order for us to allow ourselves to have those sorts of relationships with other people, we have to give up something that we are just not willing to give up in our relationships. We have to be willing to give up power and control. To make ourselves vulnerable, where we are truly empathetic with others, and we are truly willing to associate with the lowly, and we are willing to be humble in our relationships, we have to make ourselves vulnerable, which means we have to be the first one to give up power and control and relationship, and we're not willing to do it. Mark Zuckerberg, who's the founder of Facebook, he said multiple times, and Jesse Eisenberg said it when he played him in the movie, so I, I, I know this quote is true. I read it on a Facebook blog uh, earlier this week. He said, The reason I founded Facebook, the entire company and the entire platform, is based on the reality that people want to control the information that other people get to know about them and they want to control who gets to see it. The entire thing multiplied hundreds of millions of times over and over and over again is based on our, our wanting to have control over what other people get to see of us and who we allow to see it. And what happens is, is that all these sorts of things, our Christmas letters, our Facebook pages, what we, the persona we put out when we come into church, the persona that we put out when we come into work, is what Pastor Judd Wilhite calls uh, billboards. Billboards, not diaries. He says, in all these things that we're doing in our life, we're putting out billboard after billboard after billboard, allowing people to see what we want them to see, but not allowing anybody to see who we really are. And the result is, is that we have huge networks of people that we know, and our arms reach wider before, and we, and we know more people and have friended more people than ever before in the history of humankind, but never before have we felt so lonely and depressed. Really what Paul is calling us to do here is to go and do what God has already done for us. To go and do what God has already done for us. Because the Bible tells us that God came down to this earth and sent his son down to this earth. And he experienced everything that we experienced. He wept when we wept. He was rejoicing when we rejoiced that he did not stay in heaven. Jesus did not stay in heaven where he could have stayed. But he came down into this earth. And Paul says in Philippians, made himself nothing for our sake and took on the nature of a servant and made himself humble and died on the cross for our sins, not once we had already had our act together, but while we were yet sinners, Christ 
died for us. And God did it for us when we weren't worthy of it. And Paul's saying, God has done it for you. And if you've given God control, and if your love comes from him alone, then it doesn't matter if you make yourself vulnerable to others. We can go and love others because God first loved us. We can go and friend others because God first friended us. In John chapter 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends because I've told you everything that I know about my father and everything that he says. And we then have the ability to go and to give up power and to give up control and to serve and to love with humility. We can befriend others because God has first friended us. I'm going to invite our worship team forward. And I'm going to ask you to just imagine with me the opportunity that the church of Jesus Christ has in our world today. Because we live in a culture and we live in a world that is spreading its arms wide and has connections across the globe, but is missing real true relationship. And what if they were to come into the church or what if they were to come in contact with people that know Jesus Christ and they were able to, for the very first time, find people who loved them and cared for them and were humble and honored them and didn't care what their status was in society, loved them anyway. What if our world was able to encounter a group of individuals who follow Jesus Christ and who actually live that out? The kingdom of God would spread like wildfire. And as people met individuals who were transformed by, by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that they could love without limits and they could give as much as they could give and they could serve in humility, then they would come and they would meet the God who makes it all possible. And I know there are some of us in here this morning, some of us that have been asking the Lord and praying to the Lord that he would send somebody to share in your struggle and to rejoice when you rejoice and to, and to be there through the ups and the downs and to love you through all of the mess of life. And you've been praying for that friend and it hasn't happened. My encouragement to you today is to go out and be that person for somebody else. And some of us here this morning are saying, listen, I've got that network. I know a lot of people around me don't have it, but I have that network. Let me encourage you today to turn around and find the person behind you and show them the love of Jesus Christ. We have the power, the freedom, and the ability to befriend others in that way because God has first befriended us. God, we love you this morning. And Father, we thank you. We thank you that you came. And while we were still sinners, while we still had our back to you, while we were still a mess, you died on the cross for our sins and you gave us life and you gave us hope. You didn't wait till we had our act together. You didn't wait until we cleaned up our mess, God, but you came and did it in the middle of it all. And God, we thank you for that reality this morning. Lord, that you loved us enough to do it. Lord, you love us enough to call us your friend. 
that if we follow Jesus Christ, we can know you and have relationship with you for eternity. God, we pray that you would make us the kind of people that would go and show that love to others, that you would make us the kind of people that would go and that we would empathize and that we would live in humility and that we would love as you have called us to love. And God, as we do, we pray that others would see the love of Jesus Christ through us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.